we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano. It is an insider look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on hot topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Teledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Based on the Wired cover story by Jason Parham and directed by Princess Penny. Executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter. A People's History tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change, while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. If you were there for Meet Me in Temecula or Thanksgiving Clapback, you need to see this series. If you weren't there, time to dive in. Watch how Black Lives Matter grew and gained force because of the voices on Black Twitter, bringing these issues to the forefront like never before. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Wake that ass up in the morning. The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Charlemagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. We got a special guest in the building. Yes, indeed. The brother Malcolm Jenkins. Welcome, brother. Appreciate y'all having me. How y'all doing? I'm blessed, black, and highly favored. How you doing, my I'm brother? Doing well. Doing well. Malcolm got a new book out called "What Winners Won't Tell You." I love that title. Break yeah. that title down. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the times we see people who have a lot of success, who who are champions, and and we hold them up high, but oftentimes we don't see you know, what makes them that way. Uh, and oftentimes we kind of glorify that that process and, and we look at the end, you know, the end result. But for me, I've always been a, bri- a bridge builder and wanted to make sure that I contextualized the 13 year career that I just finished, you know, all of the things that I've kind of accomplished uh, by showcasing like that journey, that process, that evolution of, you know, a man uh, into what you see now. And really that's, you know, that's, to me, that's what you what you want to do. That's what you want to live. You want to have impact on things. You want to leave people with breadcrumbs to that mm-hmm. success. Uh, and so I kind of open up. The, the reason I don't have a shirt on on the cover is because it's, it's a very 
uh, vulnerable memoirs. One of the things where I show kind of the failures, the process, how I developed, you know, into the the, the person I am today. Nobody likes to show know, that no more. He played in the NFL, a former NFL player. Mm-hmm. You got drafted with New Orleans, and yep. then you played for the Eagles. Boo! Uh, is you got that cowboy. Like you got that cowboy shirt on. Is this nah. shirt like kryptonite to you? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not, not at all. We know what's gonna happen at the end of the year. <laughs> you going to the Super Bowl? Nah, I don't know. He says that every year. Yeah, every year he says that. But this the year. What year is that ring? You said that last year. Nineteen ninety six. He said that last year. Said that last year. Now, what what made you want to write this book? Now, you talk about the winning and the losing and being so open and and, and vulnerable. What made you want to write the book at this time? Yeah. So you know, one of the things is an athlete. You're, you're your life is usually documented by other people. Mm-hmm. Everybody else writes about you, talks about you, and we rarely get to hear the athlete talk about their own experience and contextualize it for themselves. I got two young daughters, like, you know, that I think a lot about mm-hmm. what they, what I want to leave to them, how I want them to view me. And so I figured it was better for my story to be told from my own words. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ended up writing the book myself, you know, cover to cover is all me. Um, and, it's, and it's one of those things that I, I'm always involved in everything I do. Mm-hmm. So. You know, for me, it's, it's one of those things that, again, everybody doesn't get to see what goes into the process, that goes into the mindset, um, the the cerebral parts of not only football, but life, the failures. And I think that that's, that's always been important for the people I know who are watching me to mm-hmm. see that part of it, um, because that's the difference. You know, most of the time they'll, you'll see somebody at the top and you, you think you can't get there. You seem so different, you know, so far from your example. Um, and hopefully this this kind of closes that gap for the reader to see like, no, no. These people who have success are just like you. They go through trials. They go through tribulations. It's those who continue to fight. Those continue to play. You know, the idea, you know, that life is this journey. You don't, especially with sports, I think life is like a game. We tend to only enjoy life or the game after we've won. Like mm-hmm. The victory is when you, you get to enjoy life. But really, the, the winners will tell you that you enjoyed playing the game. Mm-hmm. And in life, you have to enjoy where your feet are, enjoy the process regardless of the results. And and really that's how I've lived my life. That's how I've grown to to have success and I try to live that every day. I love um in the book you talk about a lot of the things you did as far as in the social justice space because you were the head of the Players Coalition. coalition. Mm-hmm. When it comes to social justice and being an athlete, what's the balance? Man, it's, you know, one of the things we had to do was find what our role was, you know, because we're not the experts. We're not uh, we're not devoting our lives to be activists, but we do have a role, you know, as as role models and a platform to do something. And I think one of the things that we found uh, to be very useful uh, was to place ourselves as conveners. We we can bring, you know, communities to politicians, to police. We can uh, use all of the intention that we get to draw, to put pressure on, you know, those who are in power, especially in our local markets. And and that's really how we, we formulated Anquan Bolden and myself formulated the Players Coalition as a vehicle for athletes all over the country. If you say, I want to get involved, you know, with the things going on in my community, you want to get involved with politics and, and whatever, you want to lobby, here's the education on the issues locally, here's who you need to push on, here's people are power, and here's some resources to put those things together. So, you know, we've, it, we kind of worked through that on our own, and then once we figured out the plan or figured out what worked, we just held the door open for anybody who wanted to come. It started with a group of about 12 athletes and now has expanded to 12 professional leagues of sports, mm-hmm. uh, which is far greater than, than anything I could have imagined when we started it, um, having impact with you know grassroots organizations all the way up to you know politics. What are some of the accomplishments that the Players Coalition did that we didn't hear about? Uh, so the majority, majority of the work was like, hey, all right, talking about the negotiation with the league and things like that. 
But what we were able to turn that into, you know, so specifically in, my focus was in Pennsylvania. Uh, one of the things I was most proud of was uh, we pushed for a bill to get passed called the Clean Slate Act. Mm -hmm. And most people don't know, one in three people in America have an, uh, some kind of criminal record. Mm -hmm. um, and so what this did was roll back um, or expunge those records after 10 years if you hadn't uh, violated for nonviolent offenses. <clears throat> and we were like, you know, that's a low hanging fruit, let's get that out the way. Uh, but that ended up affecting like over 3 million people mm. uh, across the state of Pennsylvania. So that's that affects how you, you know, what jobs you can get, where you can live. Uh, and it's just, that's a very low hanging, you know, low hanging fruit when it comes to policy. Um, in, in New England, guys were doing things, they, they uh, lobbied to get a bunch of millions of dollars put into the school system to mm -hmm. close the, the digital divide, getting, mm -hmm. you know, uh, computers and things like that. So these are happening all over the, the country, Louisiana, uh, Florida, Ohio, all the way to Cali. Um, and they're, and it's being done not only by me, but obviously by athletes all over. Now, when players were, were kneeling at one time, uh, how did you guys support the players, if at all? Yeah, well, I was raising my fist. And, and I was one, that's how the Player Coalition kind of came to about. And I talk about it in the book, mm -hmm. uh, just about like that moment, everybody wanting to figure out what to do, but not quite agreeing, which seems to be, <laughs> over the time of history, a common thread, like people having, you know, the same ideals, a bunch of people want, being very passionate about, you know, pushing black people forward or, or getting involved, but having differences of, you know, differences of opinion and, and strategy. Uh, but my biggest thing was always about the work. I'm like, whoever is, is about, you know, making a change and, and, and putting in the time and effort to do it, let's, let's collaborate, let's work together. Um, and we've been doing that over, you know, over the course of now, coming up on a decade. I, f I feel like you took a lot of, you took a lot of heat back then. Yeah. You know, Eric Reed called you a sellout. You know, y'all had y'all, if you watch football, your famous confrontation, mm -hmm. you know, b b during the game, before the game as well. Like, have y'all been able to have a conversation since then? No, nah, you know, and a lot of people, you know, even in those times were, were like, hey, my, man, you need to reconcile that. You need to squash that. But I've always maintained that, you know, I never wanted to be besides that. And I was very disappointed after that game of myself mm -hmm. because I gave the media that image. The last thing I wanted was two black men fighting over, you know, trying to save their people or trying to help their people. That's, mm -hmm. It's counterintuitive, it, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I've always maintained that like, I'm proud of the work that they did. I'm proud of, you know, all of us were, were trying to figure it out at that time, but it's not me. It's not on me to reconcile the situation. Like I never had a problem. I don't hold any gripes. Um, I was always focused on the work. I knew that regardless of how, you know, I was feeling the things that were coming down to me, the things that people were saying, my focus was always on the people. I got into this not, you know, to lift myself up. So my feelings didn't matter. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, what's the, what's the goal here? And it's to help. So all of that to me were, was distractions. And I had to stay, you know, stay focused on the goal, why I was there, why, you know, I put myself in that position uh, and just maintain. What was your thoughts on uh, everything that's going on with Colin Kaepernick and everything that's happening right now? What's your thoughts on that? I mean, it's, you know, it's confusing at, at this time. It's what, almost seven years mm -hmm. away. You know, it's, you, you almost want him to just kind of like stand on his legacy. I think any, the the way that it's being approached now and the way that it's being kind of laid out, it, it almost, you know, it's like worrisome. It makes me, it makes me a little worried. What you mean? I mean, you know, you're talking about, you know, somebody who's once uh, playing in a Super Bowl that's down like begging for, to be on the practice squad seven years after later, it's, you know, Forget the politics or who, who he is. Any athlete that's out of the game for seven years and is still begging to be on a practice squad is concerning to me. It's that now being on the other side of retirement and, and having to deal with that, that identity change myself, you know that that's, that's a, it's a strong thing that he's dealing with. 
then you worry about like, okay, how, how does one handle transitioning into the next phase of life, the next mm -hmm. chapter? Uh, mm -hmm. Because that one's done. Like you can't play football forever. So we need to see, you know, what that next example is. And I, it's, with so many people following them, I think we all want to know like, all right, what's that? What's that next move? You know, some people would say that, you know, he, he's been playing similar to you, I'm sure, since you were three years old. So that's all that you know and love. And maybe on the bucket list was playing in the Super Bowl or winning a Super Bowl, I should say. So for some people who say maybe he hasn't got that off yet. And then some people would say, you know, like even Charlemagne has mentioned that he feels like that letter was kind of like a, an embarrassment and a disgrace that, you know, you go from pro athlete to Super Bowl contender to practice squad. No, I don't, I don't think anybody want to win a Super Bowl that bad. I don't think it's about the Super Bowl um, because that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about just getting on the roster. Um, but, you know, who knows? I, I think that's the that's the one thing that, that, that leaves the concern is we don't know what the motivation is. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't I don't know that, you know, one is chasing you know, a Super Bowl. I think it is – I think it comes down to and, – and I'm watching it in many teammates of mine. Like even um, – I don't know if you saw Kelsey – Mm -hmm. Jason Kelsey did a documentary uh, about his life last year. He was trying to decide if he wanted to play or not. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, he he goes through all of these things that he loves most, his family, his wife, uh, his health. Um, but he is so afraid of moving on to something else. He says, I can't imagine myself being the best in the world or anything else. And so he decides to come back. He's obviously playing again this year. Mm -hmm. And I, I watched it. Most people applaud it. I watched it in fear because here you are saying all the things that you value most, you're willing to sacrifice because you're afraid of stepping into the unknown. Damn. And I think that's one of the things that, like, I know for me, the, the opening chapter in my book is fear. I've learned to always, like, step into the things I'm afraid of. And that's how I knew I was ready to step away from the game is because the only thing that was holding me there, I had made enough money. My body was healthy. I was... I was focused on other things, but the only thing really keeping me there was the fact that I was afraid to step into the unknown of, you know, I've been playing football since I was seven, same, mm -hmm. same type of thing. Um, but for me, my, my response is to lean into that. So it's, I think there is a lot of that going on with athletes right now. And I think with Kaepernick being who he is and what he means to, especially our people, I think, you know, we always want him to be the, the example, but I think it's a great kind of reminder that everybody's human, everybody's dealing with mm -hmm. their own stuff. And oftentimes too, when you when you when you when you don't let go of something, you block a lot of your blessings. You yeah. never know what the future is gonna hold if you keep holding on to the past. Yeah, I never thought I would write a book. Wow. Never, never in my life thought I would write a book. Wow. Um, and it wasn't until like yeah, you start to let go of these ideas of who you're supposed to be and, and these limitations we've kind of put on ourselves, and you lean into the unknown and say, well, okay, I can't tell myself. I can't do this until I've proven myself, you know, until, until life proves that I can't do something, I have to always assume that I can. And for me, it's just always about like trying to expand, you know, the human experience as much as possible. I'm a forever learner. I'm curious about everything. Mm -hmm. And the more and more you learn, the more you do, you start to realize, you know, that there are no limitations, that any of the problems that you have in your life, you are going to be the base of that solution. And, you know, and that's a journey. It's not easy to get there. That, that mm -hmm. takes a lot of trial and error. Now, I love how you started chapter two. You started <clears> with a quote, we must all suffer one or two pains, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Which one did you suffer the most? I think I, I suffered both until I learned, you know, the pain of discipline. I think, um, I, I think I've gotten so much more comfortable in the pain of discipline than the pain of regret. Mm. Um, both hurt though. And I think, you know, especially when you talk about like, even love is one of those things is I've, Come to find love is like an action word. I take love out as a noun in my vocabulary because we we often love in feelings, but 
to really love somebody or even love yourself, it looks like discipline. It doesn't, it doesn't, we'll look in the mirror and say, I feel good about myself, so I love myself, or I feel confident, so I must love myself. And so we love everybody else with feelings, but when you start to just look at actions, like how, what are the things you do to love yourself? Okay, do you have discipline with what you eat, how you work out, how you take care of yourself? You know, do you go places you don't need to? Are you reading? Are you cultivating these parts mm-hmm. of yourself? Th- those things are uncomfortable. They take discipline, uh, but they they always expand who you are. They, they help you grow. They help you go to where you're trying to get to. And I think a lot of the times we try to avoid the being uncomfortable. Um, you know, we, we try to avoid that discipline and end up just still being uncomfortable with the results because we, we regret it not having that, mm-hmm. you know, not taking advantage of those times. So for me, I'm always trying to focus on you know, the end goal, doing those small things daily uh, that starve yourself maybe sometimes with some enjoyment, but at the same time, you know you're moving in, in the direction you want to go. Now, you mentioned earlier you had two daughters, and, and I always ask athletes when they come up here, if you did have a son, mm-hmm. uh, would you want your son to play in the NFL? Uh, I don't think I would have a desire for him to play. If he wanted to, you know, for sure, I got all the keys to, to show you how to get there and stay there. Um, and it's in... You know, it's a dangerous sport, but everything is is, is dangerous. And I, I think one of the things about me, I, my first, that first half of my career, I was, I would get these nagging injuries. My neck, I talk about in the book, I had to get a bunch of epidural shots in my neck. I'm like, I thought those were just for- Women pregnant. Women, yeah, mm-hmm. I was getting them in my neck to play football. You, you're on heavy kind of anti-inflammatories, things like that. So they're the negative things, but when I stopped trying to hurt people in the game, I stopped trying to punish my defenders, I stopped getting hurt. Wow. And I played eight seasons straight with no injuries, which is absurd in the NFL. So there, there is a way to play the game. There's a way to to kind of move about it, take care of yourself that is safe. But obviously, it's it's a violent sport. But the things that I've learned from from playing football are things that you know have made me who I am. I think they give me an advantage in any situation. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about you know stepping away from the game and being since seven years old. You've been trained to be a leader. You've been trained to problem solve. You've been trained to to go through processes, to evaluate yourself, to evaluate your opponent, fail, do it all over again, like live on routine. Like all of those things are things that when you get out into the world, you see regular people, CEOs all the way down struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, yet we've been equipped to do this and been kind of trained to do that. So, I, I you know, it's a trade-off. You know, I think some of those things are good, some of them bad. It's just up to, if I had a son, it would really be up to him. Gotcha. And you know, Tom Brady wrote the foreword of your book. Mm-hmm. Explain that relationship, because I would never have wrote a fourth for Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we were looking, obviously we titled it, you know, What Winners Won't Tell You Lessons from a Legendary Defender. And we're kind of like, all right, well, who do we get to write the foreword? And Tom's name came up, and I'm like, guys, like, I've been trolling Tom about this Super Bowl exactly. for a few years now. <laughs> like, I don't know if Tom's going to write it. Um, but, you know, when I think about, as a defender, who who was my favorite opponent? It was Tom Brady. Mm. Love playing Tom. He always brought the best out of me as a player. And, you know, he's the greatest of all time. So I just kind of shot my shot, shot him a text, uh, and he obliged. You know, that was – and it was kind of the cherry on top of the book. Definitely, you know, a stamp. I appreciated him for that. Did Uh, y'all have a relationship before that? Really just a mutual, you know, relationship. Respect is like an opponent Mm -hmm. being peers in the league. Uh, But, no, we're not like friends. We don't hang out. Uh, So this is really just based off of, like, I see you, you see me type Mm -hmm. of thing. Now, you said he's the greatest of all time. I do, yeah. So you uh, you you stand by he's the greatest quarterback of all time? Yeah. Okay, why? Because he does the ordinary better than everybody. Ooh. Like, I look at Aaron Rodgers, and I'm looking at his skill set. Like, okay, Aaron Rodgers is probably the tougher one to play mm-hmm. because he, he has a skill set 
that really nobody else has. Like on the field, it's hard. But Tom, like he he's not faster than everybody. He's, uh, people have better arm talent. He, you know, there have been other cerebral quarterbacks, but it's like, well, why is he having the success he has? And it's because of his process. He does all the ordinary things better than everybody else. Ooh. And I think that's that to me is like the cheat code of life. Like you can, there's always going to be people with God-given talent, but you master the things that don't take talent and watch how far it goes. I feel like, man, what you just said makes so much sense. Because when you look at the people who have God-given talent, they usually do the basics better than everybody. Mm -hmm. Like they usually mm -hmm. do something as simple as practice yeah. harder than everybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah. think about you look at Steph Curry, mm -hmm. Jordan, all these Kobe people like Bryant. Kobe, yeah. they talk about Bron, practicing. Yeah. That, yeah. Like they Jordan, don't they don't yeah. talk about like ah oh, yeah I gotta you know I, I can jump high so that's I just jumped over no they doing the very simple things mm -hmm. over and over and over again and we only see it in the game like mm -hmm. oh this is crazy and you don't realize he just been doing this same drill since the age of seven right <laughs> and so now it's like clockwork it's body you know it's a uh, muscle memory and I think that's that's something I've always been fascinated in and tried to do myself is like what can I you know instead of trying to be the best at some God given talent or do these amazing things. Like how do you just do the do the ordinary right. better Absolutely. than everybody else? Absolutely. Now you were just inducted into the uh, Ohio State Hall of Fame, so congratulations. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. Now just if, if you could go back and change it, because you know, we, we talk about all the things you stand for now, would you prefer or would you have rather went to an HBCU? Both of my parents went to um to North Carolina A and T. Mm -hmm. Um I think Going back, no, it was a different time, right? I think right now, the way that there's attention on it, there's people willing to put resources behind the programs and all this happened, of course I would now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think back then, it, it you would have just kind of been selling yourself short. It's like, you you need the entire environment. You need the eyes, you need yeah. the coaches to it's come see. It's not just one player coming. Mm -hmm. You need the coach, like what Dion was doing, you know, for HBCUs was, was a movement. And that's something what is what we wanted to see. That's what would have made it, you know, appetizing for me as an athlete. And you know, and I, but I do look at these athletes now who were doing it, like oh, I wish I had. I wish the environment was like that when I was coming out. Mm -hmm. We we have those conversations, man. But I keep thinking, I keep, I, I want people to remember, Dion's an anomaly, man. He is. Like Dion was one of the biggest stars in the world because mm -hmm. it's not like. Uh, Eddie George is coaching. Right, right. You know what exactly. I mean? Like, yeah. like we can be supporting Eddie George. It's a few, yeah. It's because it's Dion. Yeah. Like, that's what, it's not, uh, hell. That's, is it that's Hugh, Jackson's in the, uh, Hugh Jackson's coaching too, right? I believe I so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he's not the only one, but mm -hmm. it is the Dion effect for sure. It's the it's not just the on-field stuff and coaching. It's the attention you're bringing, the message that you're bringing, the, the pride and, mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, the, the showmanship that you bring to it too. You got to make it cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did your trip to Ghana um, uh, influence your advocacy? Yeah. Uh, or just change your life, period? It changed everything. Um, you know, you start to, I think all of us have a, a bit of an identity crisis at some point. You know, is there, if you're African-American, you want to know where you came from. And at the lowest point in my life, it was like one of the most critical moments in, my, in the book. Uh, I needed to get away. And I was like, I always wanted to go to Africa. So I went to Ghana and it was just... To be around something, you know, a place that's all black oh. for a week and a half, I didn't realize how much I needed that until I came back. I was like, I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about being black for a week and a half, mm. and I was like, that must be what white privilege feels like, man. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's like you, you didn't realize you needed those spaces to get away, and so just going to the slave the castles, slave castles mm. the door no return, you just feel this this connection with your ancestry that I hadn't had before. 
Um, and so, and even just nature and, and all of those things. So for me, it was, it was life changing, changed my perspective of like, what's important, what's my role here. Like you don't, I don't strive to, to have success in this kind of like American society. It's like, I'm, I'm here for a purpose. I'm, I'm live here. This is what I call home, but I don't have to buy into the ideology. You have a, you have something before slavery now to tap into mm-hmm. a history to, to, to explore. And I think that, that, that was mentally liberating for me. Did you take your daughters? Uh, nah, they haven't been yet. We've okay. been we've been to the the continent. We were in like Northern Africa, uh, Morocco, Marrakesh, but they haven't been to Ghana yet. Yeah, I took all four of mine, and my 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 seven year old. She she's eight now, but she she literally was like, "Where are the white people at?" Like, is yeah, that is that is that knows weird? <laughs> the only I was like, I tell me, I talk about it in the book. The only white face I saw was Jesus, and they have him. <laughs> white Jesus is everywhere. Wow. It's was, it was crazy. But I did bring. Uh, I brought my two brothers. Uh, brought some of my frat brothers. I've been there like four times. The last time. Um, and we close out the book with it is uh, the time I bring my parents. They always wanted to get to the continent, mm-hmm. and so I bring them with them, bring them with me, and they they had a had a blast. Well, the brother got to go because he got TV this morning too. So you got to pick up the new book. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. won't tell you. We well, appreciate you joining us, brother. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us no, this morning. Appreciate y'all having me for sure. Pick up the book right now, Malcolm Jenkins. It's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Wake that ass up in the morning. The Breakfast Club. Got my PrevNAR 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk? Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.